Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Very happy, Francis and I are, to be with you here today on All Hallows' Eve. Yes, <laughs> and we rejoice with all the holy angels and saints and ask them to come and intercede for us. We are really on, um, of course, the, um, the eve of a very special day and a very special month, uh, the month of November, an important time for us, quite frankly, and it's not mis- uh, you know, accidental, dear people, that um, the uh, cycle of the, of the Christian calendar uh, leaves us in the month of November watching the dying of the leaves and the, the stripping, if you will, of the scenery that we've enjoyed throughout the month of October. And I can tell you here in Ohio, it's just been absolutely gorgeous. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Thank life <laughs> and the color and all the rest of it that flourished is now coming, uh, you know, coming off, the stripping and, as I say, the dying. Uh, not accidental with the month of November, because this is the month that we remember the dying. We remember those who have passed over the, the, not the dying, but the dead, those who passed away over this last year. And frankly, many years will begin, of course, with All Saints Day uh, tomorrow, uh, the 1st of November, depending on when you may be listening to this broadcast. And then, of course, All Souls Day. And so we want to attune ourselves to both the responsibility that we as church have, uh, to praying for those people and understanding um, uh, our call uh, for intercession for them, but also the graces, Francis, that are available to us in this very powerful and very uh, meaningful month for our church. Well, and of course, there is one certainty in life, Mark, and that's we all die. <laughs> and in pondering death and dying, we gain wisdom in how to live. Um, you know, if you die for God, you'll live forever. If you live for the world, You'll die forever. But the art of living well is knowing how to die well. And for that, we are going to talk about St. Therese of Lisieux and her perspective on death and dying. She has much to teach us, and I think this is the most appropriate time to uh, be pondering uh, what she has to share with us. You know, people in general avoid this topic of death and dying. Now, why is that? <laughs> well, probably because uh, death can prompt the thoughts of fear, gloom, doubt, unease, anxiety. You know, as Catholics, we know there's a better, a more healthy response. And we're going to look to St. Therese of Lisieux to learn some insights on how to approach death. But first, I would like to start with an opening prayer, Mark. Um, Please. This is an excerpt from a poem of St. Therese of Lisieux, The Little Flower. It's called Living on Love, and this is near the end of the poem, but I thought it would make a good opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Living on love, what strange folly. The world says to me, ah, stop your singing. Don't waste your perfumes, your life. Learn to use them well. Loving you, Jesus is such a fruitful loss. All my perfumes are yours forever. I want to sing on, leaving this world. I am dying of love. Dying of love is a truly sweet martyrdom, and that is the one I wish to suffer. O cherubim, tune your lyre, for I sense my exile is about to end. Flame of love, consume me unceasingly. Life of an instant, your burden is so heavy to me. Divine Jesus, make my dream come true, to die of love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, Francis, you point out as Christians, we should not fear death. In fact, what we should do is use death, use the inevitability. You mentioned it. We're all going to die. So many of the great saints tell us we should reflect on our death, and we should use the realization that it is ultimately our destiny uh, to help us along this path of holiness. Of course, if we uh, take a class with a final exam, it would be smart to put some thought into that exam. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's it going to be on? How hard is it going to be graded? What's the grading curve? When will it be? How long is it going to take me to get through it? Um, we would do well to study and prepare. And this preparation, of course, is for the most important exam that we'll ever take. We will all stand before our Lord and we will be judged. We will be, our lives will be looked at. Of course, we know that we as uh, Catholics understand we will actually judge ourselves. We will look at ourselves in the context of the beauty and the glory of the Lord. Uh, but it is a time that we should use throughout our entire life to prepare for. So what do we think about death and dying? Do we ever even stop to think about this death? And what is this death in actuality? Well, St. Therese of Lisieux pondered these questions in her heart. And her experiences of death in her younger days certainly got her thinking about this topic early on. 
Um, and as we talk about Therese and her perspective on death, we're, we're going to be using quotes from um, three sources in particular, her story of a soul, her last conversations, and from her letters. There's also an excellent article by Catherine Beery called The Most Insightful St. Therese of Lisieux Quotes on Death. Um, in which she offers some great commentary. And I'll list that in our resources. So if you want to find that, uh, come back and check our resources. Well, uh, Therese was, of course, uh, the ninth of last, uh, ninth and last child of Louis and Zelie Martin. Uh, she was only the fifth one to survive uh, infant mortality. At that rate, of course, was very high. She had four siblings who died, three in infancy, and one was a girl uh, who passed away at the age of five. She grew up in the midst of the wars, the Franco-Prussian War, the Battle of Le Mans. Uh, in fact, their family housed Prussian soldiers uh, in the bloody week in Paris in 1871 as part of that war. And like so many saints, Francis, her right. own mother died, and, and she lived through this. At a very young age, four and a half years of age, she experienced the loss of her mother. We could look to so many saints who either lost both parents or, in many cases, certainly one of them. And so they were exposed to the reality of death very early on, and it became something uh, compelling in their walk and, and uh, a desire to develop their intimacy with the Lord. So what did Therese think about death at her young age, before her own mother's death? Now, here she is, four and a half years old. Well, we can gain a little bit um, of knowledge from one of the letters of Therese's mother, Zelie, um, on how this seed of heaven was firmly implanted regarding death. Um, her mother writes, baby is a little imp. <laughs> She'll kiss me and at the same time wish me to die. Oh, how I wish you would die, dear little mother. When I scold her, she answers, what is because I want you to go to heaven? And you say we must die to get there. She was the same for her father in her outburst of affection from her. And then from another letter of Teresa's mother, we learn about her mindset some more. Zaley wrote, Little Therese asked me the other day if she would go to heaven. I told her, yes, if she were good. She answered, yes, but if I'm not good, I'll go to hell. But I know what I will do. I will fly to you in heaven. And what will God be able to do to take me away? You will be holding me so tightly in your arms. I could see in her eyes that she was really convinced that God could do nothing to her if she were in her mother's arms. I think about that in relationship of being in our blessed mother's arms. Yeah, it's interesting. She has the sort of childish perspective. Good gets me to heaven. Bad behavior gets me to hell. But she even at this young age realizes <clears throat> it is not entirely dependent on her, that there is a source. And, of course, it's our Lord through his sacrifice and the blessed mother. Well, Therese's own account of her mother's actual death uh, reveals her real first serious personal struggle with the realization of death. Uh, she writes, my dear mother died on August 28th, 1877, in her 46th year. The day after her death, my father took me in his arms and said, Come and kiss your dear mother for the last time. Can you imagine the poignancy of that moment? Yeah. Without saying a word, I put my lips to her icy forehead. I do not remember having cried much, and I did not talk to anyone uh, of all that filled my heart. I looked and listened in silence, and I saw many things that would have hidden from me once I found myself close to the coffin in the passage. I stood looking at it for a long time. I had never seen one before, but I knew what it was. I was so small that I had to lift up my head to see its whole length, and it seemed to me very big and very sad. You know, Mark, that quote particularly strikes me because my father died on my birthday when I was seven, and so I can really relate to seeing him in the coffin and what that was like. Um, so that was my really first impression of death. And, you know... You don't know what to even ask about. So you're just kind of observing. Um, and that's what Therese was doing. You think about in your own life, the, the moments, listener, that you may have been close to death. You may have lost somebody personally. I, uh, for my own part, as a young person, lost an aunt. It was certainly impactful, but uh, not perhaps, as, certainly not as dramatic as a parent. This past year alone, though, Francis, as you well know, uh, I lost a very dear friend named Tommy. I've had uh, uh, prayer requests for him, uh, and those continue, as well as a father-in-law. And so uh, think about for your own experience, what did that moment of loss of death, the realization that it is for all of us inevitable, what did it bring to your your spiritual life, and how did it change your thinking about uh, how you might conduct your 
you know, uh, spiritual maturity and growth in preparation for that moment. Well, Therese went from being a happy-go-lucky, affectionate child to one now who is hypersensitive, crying over the smallest things. Then it felt like another death when her sister Pauline, whom she adopted as her second mother, left home to go join the cloistered convent of Carmel. Therese then felt abandoned. You know, psychologists today would say she had abandonment issues. Perhaps this gives us some insight into the way she turned it into a positive by abandoning all to God. Yeah, Therese took all this to heart and saw how life was passing, how it was all very temporary and, frankly, full of vanity, as Scripture tells us. In writing about her early days of prayer, she even said, During this prayer, I would begin thinking that the day of rest was coming to an end, that the morrow would bring with it the necessity of beginning life over again. We would have to go back to work, learning lessons, etc. And my heart felt the exile of this earth. I longed for the everlasting repose of heaven that never-ending Sunday of the fatherland. So isn't this interesting, this pondering the everlasting repose of heaven versus the vanity of this life? It's just interesting that she's working on that. So, you know, we see as a young child, Therese, she longed for heaven and to know God and to be with him eternally. This life became less and less attractive to her as nothing could compare to God. Nothing but God could fill the hole in her heart. This kind of detachment is healthy so that we do not hold on too tightly to material possessions or people. Putting God as the center of our lives helps us keep everything else in right order, right relationship. And Therese knew the purpose of our life was to be united with God in heaven. She famously said, the world's thy ship, not thy home. Yeah, even at that early age, she understood this process of detachment. She understood the temporality of all that she saw and all that she experienced. Uh, furthering that teaching for her and that understanding, shortly after her sister Pauline left to go to the convent, Therese experiences a strange illness. The family yeah. truly thought she was going to die in these moments. After uh, many prayers were uttered, she was miraculously healed by the smile of our Blessed Mother. We've told this story before, right. Francis, as you recall. But this incident alone is worth much in, uh, for all of us, uh, worthy of considerable study into the reason why Therese wanted to get to the truth of matters, especially the truth about God. She cuts through all the morass that we so often spend our time and our uh, even our religious uh, devotions in pursuit of uh, trying to understand God. The reality is for Therese, she knew that her ultimate rest was to rest in God's arms, and she wanted to know the path. We know the story about her um, attributing to the elevator her own spiritual journey. I'm going to take the elevator to the right. spiritual uh, <laughs> destination. Jesus' arms. <laughs> yeah, let me not waste time. She knew well that the saints were declared to be with God in heaven, and since that is where she wanted to be, her desire was to become a saint, to grow in sainthood. And she had a big problem to deal with. How do I do that, she said, even at a young age? How do I become a saint, she wanted to know. Therese answered that by saying, I've always found that there is the same difference between the saints and me as there is between a mountain whose summit is lost in the clouds and a humble grain of sand trodden underfoot by passers-by. We can relate to that, right? <laughs> Instead of being discouraged, I told myself, God would not make me wish for something impossible. And so in spite of my littleness, I can aim at being a saint. It is impossible for me to grow bigger. So I put up with myself as I am with all my countless faults. But I will look for some means of going to heaven by a little way, which is very short and very straight, a little way that is quite new. You know, we're all called to this sainthood. But how do we get there. That's the question. St. Therese, she gets rid of all of the discouraging thoughts and replaces them with a trust, a hope, a surrender in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. When we trust in God, even the impossible becomes possible. Now, in fairness, Therese had a lot of advantages uh, in regard to uh, sort of whittling away to get to the core of what the spiritual journey was all about. Uh, we know, again, the story of, uh, regarding her father, whose mental state began to seriously deteriorate from dementia soon after she joined the convent. 
He ran away and was lost for a while and then had two paralytic strokes, a heart attack, and a mental breakdown, which ultimately caused him to be put into a private sanatorium for three years. He ended up dying on July 29, 1894. He's now, of course, been raised to the altars, as we say, and so his life is a model. But at that time, Therese didn't know that. Uh, this was a severe trial for her, and you can see how the Lord's working in her life. To be fair, listener, uh, and as a reminder of the, the central theme of our conversation today, it is preparation for death. It is the realization that it is inevitable for all of us. And I say in Therese's life, maybe there were some advantages in the sense that, doesn't sound like it, she lost her mother, she lost her father, she lost a sister who went to the convent, who had, for all intents and purposes, become her second mother. But she used these experiences. That's the difference. What do we do with the experiences in our own life to help lead us further into this and understanding and down this journey? Sometime after her father's death, in a letter uh, from Therese to her sister, we get a further glimpse into her own developing thoughts on this issue of death and how death now draws her nearer to heaven. Let's see what she has to say regarding this. She says, Dear little sister, how fruitful for heaven has been the year that is gone. Our dear father has, see has seen that which the eye cannot see. He has heard the ministerial... Uh, ministerially of minstrelsy. the angels, minstrelsy. Yeah, Sorry, minstrelsy. <laughs> uh, of the angels. Now his heart understands and his soul enjoys the things which God hath prepared for those who love Him. Our turn will come, and it is full sweet to think our sails are set towards the eternal shore. Do you not find, as I do, that our beloved Father's death has drawn us nearer to heaven? More than half of our loved ones, her sisters and brothers, already enjoy the vision of God. And the five of us who remain in exile will follow soon. This thought of the shortness of life gives me courage and helps me to put up with the weariness of the journey. What matters a little toil upon the earth? We pass. We have not here a lasting city. So by setting our sights on heaven, death is placed in a proper perspective. When looking to heaven and eternal life, one has hope. Now, we're going to jump to when Therese um, sees the first sign of her own impending death, when she's coughing up blood, which is a sign of her um, impending tuberculosis. And this sign occurs on Holy Thursday, Good Friday. Right. And to be fair, the jump's not that long, is it? She's only 23 here. I mean, <laughs> right, think right. back to our, our own experience. I don't know how many 23-year-olds might be listening to us. I pray many, but, but I suspect there may be many that are older. And so this is still at a very young age. Scarcely was my head laid on the pillow when I felt a hot stream rise to my lips. I thought I was going to die, and my heart nearly broke with joy. I wonder how many of us would, would respond that way. Um, but as I had already put out our lamp, I mortified my curiosity until the morning and slept in peace. At five o'clock, when it was time to get up, I remembered at once that I had some good news to learn. And going to the window, I found, as I had expected, that our handkerchief was soaked with blood. Dearest mother, what hope was mine? I was firmly convinced that on this anniversary of his death, my beloved, how allowed me to hear his first call, like a sweet, distant murmur, heralding his joyful approach. Now, how, did, how does Therese deal with the prospect of her own impending death? How does it change her, and, and not only her physical sufferings, uh, which increase, but also her spiritual sufferings will increase at this time. This is the assault of faith, the trial of faith that she goes through. Um, she doesn't fear death, that's obvious. She does not, um, uh, at this stage, have the same maturity that she will as she, as she progresses to where she abandons the timing of that death. She just wants it to happen. We read that in these earlier lines. Uh, she did experience some moments, of course, of uncertainty with regard to her death. She writes, in fact, I am afraid I have feared death. I am not afraid of what happens after death. That's certain. I don't regret giving up my life. But I do ask myself, what is this mysterious separation of the soul from the body? It is the first time that I have experienced this as would be true for any of us. But I abandoned myself immediately to God. And that's the point, yeah. Francis. Is, and we read about this in, in uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, having to go through that phase of, I no longer care. I don't desire it. I want it to be in God's own good time. Therefore, I abandon myself to him exclusively. Well, Therese acknowledged her fear, uh, but she doesn't let this emotion control her or cloud her intellect. Her response is one of faith, abandoning herself immediately to God. God knows best. Too, man, too bad many of us humans think we know best. Therese's example of abandonment 
to our loving Heavenly Father is something that we can practice throughout our life. And when we do so, we will be more prepared um, for that hour of death in which we can um, say with Jesus, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, I read something the other day regarding our prayer life and how as it matures, it moves more and more to expressing the desire that God would prepare us for that ultimate moment in our life when we will encounter him. How many people today even think about their soul? And I mean people who are pursuing uh, faith and spirituality. How many prepare their soul for death? And what do we think of this separation of the body and soul? Even Therese, a saint, uh, wondered about what that moment would be like for her. The faithful soul should not, of course, fear this separation. The Catechism right. uh, gives us some instruction on this. In um, uh, section 1016, it says, By death, the soul is separated from the body. But in the resurrection, God will give incorruptible life to our body, transformed by reunion with our soul. Just as Christ is risen and lives forever, so all of us will rise at the last day. Well, you know, in the last months of St. Teresa's life, this topic of death is brought up numerous times, of course. So she was actually just living in the constant expectation of her impending death. Mother Agnes had asked her, Are you afraid now that death is so close? And Therese answered her, Ah, less and less. Mother Agnes asked, Do you fear the thief? This time he's at the door. Therese answered, No, he's not at the door. He has entered. But what are you saying, little mother? How can I fear one whom I love? Um, for example, uh, in the infirmary, when she wrote to Father Bellier on June 9th, she says, I'm not dying. I'm entering into life. So she's already changing the mindset here. This is the way she approached death, entering in, into eternal life. And she overcame her fears by focusing on the moment, God's present in the moment with her, and the joys of eternal life in heaven. You know, so, as she experienced this increasing coughing and difficulties in breathing, pains in her chest and swelling limbs, you know, this is the first time they talk about tuberculosis. And, you know, she's violently suffering at each breath. She felt like she was stretched out on iron pikes, spikes. Um, can you imagine that? And this is where they begin to talking about um, the danger of gangrene. So, you know, what is Therese's reaction to this increased suffering? And more importantly, what would mine be if I were in her shoes? Yeah, I wonder how many of us may have faced that uh, prospect of death for ourselves. Maybe we were, you know, in a, in a car accident or had some sort of an injury. Or we may have had a life-threatening uh, illness, as Frances herself has. Um, how do we deal with those questions? Well, here's Therese's response. She says, with regard to these thoughts about uh, her suffering and her impending death, well, all the better. While I am at it, I may as well suffer very much and all over and even have several sicknesses at the same time. <laughs> I think this is her humor right there. <laughs> yeah. More, Lord, you know. <laughs> she, she says, when I say I'm suffering, you answer all the better. I don't have the strength. So you complete what I want to say. So she, again, the abandonment. She's giving it all over to the Lord in these moments. And of course, we must understand we're not there living every day. We are seeing what's happening in this uh, back and forth dialogue. But what is clear is that Therese increasingly is accepting the consequence, the inevitability, and maturing into an embrace and an abandonment uh, of, of her, uh, her own death. Well, we're going to take a break at this point and um, come back and pick up on this experience of Therese and how she dealt with her own death to give us further insight on this. I remind you, listening to Carmelite Conversations and Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. Feels like I could kiss your face, wrap my arms around you, worship you in this embrace, so glad that I found you, and I don't ever want to be a stranger in your house again, and I don't
search through the depths of time. I'd search my whole life through. I know that I never find another one like you. What other god says bring back my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth? There is no rock, no other name I'll ever know that can stand up to what you're worth. And I belong here with you. I belong here with you. I belong here with you. You are my home. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations here on Radio, Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home on this All Hallows Eve. We are speaking um, about St. Therese's perspective on death and dying. And we were just talking about how Therese was saying, you know, she might as well suffer all kinds of sickness all at once. And so every time she was going to say, I'm suffering, she wanted um, uh, her sister to respond, all the better. <laughs> um, and, of course, the, the nuns, of course, had training on what redemptive suffering was. So uh, there was uh, a lot of background to that response there. But, you know, Therese, she accepted and embraced this pain. And, you know, isn't that a good recipe for encountering any kind of suffering? She knows that these sufferings are an opportunity. That's the thing. Suffering is an opportunity for grace, for grace-filled moments. She knows to embrace God's plan, God's will for her in this moment and now, that is the way to show God that she trusts him. So do we do that when we're suffering? Isn't this a good battle plan for any time we suffer? You know, there's an excerpt from the memoirs of one of her blood sisters where um, for several days, Teresa began feeling better. And um, the sisters were telling her, we do not yet know of what disease you will die. How would you like that for a conversation? Yeah, I, I contend that's the worst thing about any sickness that we endure. It's not the sickness itself. It's the not knowing what's really happening. You know, so right. many people who start, I suspect you had the same experience with, with yours that, uh, you know, it's the not knowing and the doctors, of course, inability to tell us. We suffer more from that mental anguish. But one of the ways to get beyond that mental anguish is simply continue to abandon it, right? right. Just continuously, as Therese shows us, just continually give it over to God. She uh, answered, I shall die of death. Right. <laughs> Did not God tell Adam of what he would die when he said to him, thou shalt die of death? Then death will come to fetch you. No, not death, but the good God. Death is not, as pictures tell us, a phantom. This is again Therese, a horrid specter. The catechism says that it is the separation of soul and body. No more. Well, I do not fear a separation which will unite me forever 
to God. What a great mindset for her to adopt. And again, in fairness, this is something she matured into. God gave her time. But this is where we are all called to be when it comes to facing death. Yes, death is a separation, but it is a separation simply from this life and entry into our eternal life. Yeah, it's a it's what takes us away from time and places us into eternity. And, and how we live this time uh, depends on where we will spend eternity, right? Well, if you were in this situation and, and were asked, would you prefer to die rather than live, um, what would you say? Uh, Therese's answer um, will help us see what's important. She says, I don't love one thing more than another. What God prefers and chooses for me, that is what pleases me more. And isn't this, in fact, what we pray for, Mark, in the Our Father, when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, probably the most difficult prayer that any of us pray, right? And our Lord gave us the example in the garden when he said, thy will be done. This is the prayer of life. Thy will be done in all circumstances. And our response is simply to accept then those circumstances. One of the nuns asked Therese, would you be afraid to die tomorrow? And she responded, well, this evening I wouldn't be afraid. I'd only be filled with joy. Yes, Therese even looked forward to death. She said, it's said in the gospel that God will come like a thief. He will come to steal me away gently. Oh, how I'd love to aid the thief. I'm not afraid of the thief. I see him in the distance, and I take good care not to call out to others, help, thief. On the contrary, I call to him saying, over here, (laughs) over here. (laughs) So, you know, taking it another step, Trez looks forward to death, even wondering what her big surprise will be. So, Mark, why don't you tell us uh, uh, about the big surprise? Well, this is the, <laughs> the very essence of confidence, isn't it? We read so much about um, confidence in Therese. Uh, and she says, uh, with regard to this surprise, I have formed such a lofty idea of heaven that at times I wonder God, what God will do at my death to surprise me. My hope is so great. It is such a subject of joy for me, not by feeling, but by faith. That to satisfy me fully, something will be necessary, which is beyond all human conception. Well, of course, we know from so many that have visited heaven that it is beyond human conception. Right. Rather than be disappointed, I prefer to keep an eternal hope. Just to see God happy will be fully sufficient for my own happiness. A day, an hour, we shall have reached the port. My God, what shall we see then? Hmm. What is that life which will never happen? And think of that, listener. The life that will never have an end. That is what we face here. We won't face that in the next life. How do we know? First Corinthians 2 9 tells us, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what great things God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, Therese had people tell her, Well, we're going to be so sad when you die. Well, Therese says, Oh, no, you will see. It will be like a shower of roses. I will spend my heaven doing good on earth. And, you know, it appears that God has answered that request in abundance. Even to this day, we hear of miracles uh, attributed to St. Therese. You know, she said with great conviction, when I die, I will send down a shower of roses from the heavens. I will spend my heaven by doing good on earth. You know, heaven was not a place of rest or repose for her. Uh Uh-uh. She's a working saint, (laughs) helping other souls on earth to get to heaven. Um, After all, she wanted to be love in the heart of the church. It's the nature of love to sacrifice itself to bring others up. And she could do far more for others from heaven than she ever did on earth. Death, then, for her, it was not an end of life. It was actually the beginning. Death is the beginning of eternal life. Well, what about Therese's trial of faith that we mentioned just a few moments ago, the darkness that enveloped her? How did she deal with that? Well, here's how she described um, this period of desolation. Uh, And again, this is in the later phases of her life as she's preparing for this joy of death. She says, When my heart, weary of the enveloping darkness tries to find some rest and strength in the thought of an everlasting life to come, my anguish only increases. It seems to me that the darkness itself, borrowing the voice of the unbeliever, cries mockingly, You dream of a land of light and fragrance. You believe that the creator of these wonders will be forever yours. You think to escape one day from the mists in which you now languish. Hope on, hope on, look forward to death. It will give you not what you hope for, but a night darker still. 
the night of utter nothingness. Now, we appear to be contradicting ourselves, Francis, but the truth of the matter is, even in this darkest moment, she did hold on to faith. She knew um, that her ultimate destiny, of course, would be this eternal joy. But these are the dark moments that impose themselves on all of us at some stage of our spiritual journey. And she experienced it, of course, perhaps as profoundly as anybody. I'm so glad she put that section in about these mocking voices, because we hear mocking voices all the time. Those are the temptations for the evil one. And so we must be cognizant of the battlefield of our minds and be calling the light into this darkness that we may live in Christ. Um, Therese also wrote, as, as a result of this trial, this battle, she said, each time that my enemy, she's speaking of the evil one, would provoke me to combat, I behave as a gallant soldier. No doubt she's uh, getting this from St. Joan of the Ark, whom she loves so dearly. I know that a duel is an act of cowardice, and so, without once looking him in the face, I turn my back on the foe. Then I hasten to my Savior and vow that I am ready to shed my blood in witness of my belief in heaven. I tell him, if only he will deign to open it to poor unbelievers, I am content to sacrifice all pleasure in the thought of it as long as I live. And God heard that prayer. And he did take this idea and her consolation of heaven away from her and this battle of darkness. Um, But she said, in spite of this trial, which robs me of all comfort, I still can say, Thou hast given me, O Lord, delight in all thou dost. For what joy can be greater than to suffer for love? The more the suffering is, and the less it appears before men, the more is it to thy honor and glory. Even if, but I know it to be impossible, thou shouldst not deign to heed my sufferings, I should still be happy to bear them, in the hope that by my tears I might perhaps prevent or atone for one sin against faith. Oh, my God, how good thou art to the little victim of thy merciful love. Now, even when thou joinest these bodily pains to those of my soul, I cannot bring myself to say the anguish of death hath encompassed me. I rather cry out in my gratitude. I have gone down into the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil because thou, O Lord, art with me. That's Psalm 23, verse 4. Of course, the sisters that are watching her are not privy to the interior dialogue that uh, Therese is having. She's documenting some of this, as we later discover, but they're not. In fact, some of them think that she is afraid of death. Her uh, little mother said to her, this would be her sister, of course, that they believe this, that she's afraid. Therese responds, that may easily come to pass, she answered. I do not rely on my own feelings, That's for so I know important. how frail I am. Yeah, this. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but so many people go by feelings, Mark, and we have to get beyond that. That is um, what will take us off the path. So this is so important to to not go by just the feelings. Yeah, it's not feelings, it's faith that we have to rely on. And faith, of course, here is not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just some assent to truth or an affirmation of the words of uh, faith, oh, I believe. No, it's deep and it's interior and it's very meaningful. It's not, however, emotional feeling in the way that Francis Uh, has made clear. It will be time enough, uh, uh, Therese goes on, it will be time enough to bear that cross if it comes. Meantime, I wish to rejoice in my present happiness. When the chaplain asked me if I was resigned to die, I answered, Father, I need rather to be resigned to live. I feel nothing but joy at the thought of death. Do not be troubled, dear mother, if I suffer much and I show no signs of happiness at the end. Did not our Lord himself die as a victim of love? and see how great was his agony. This also is a great teaching. Uh, Francis, we've talked about this uh, in the past, that you know the sisters, realizing the, the uh, spiritual maturity and holiness of Therese, even if they would not necessarily have attributed sainthood to her at that point, certainly some of them knew about her deep interior life and had seen the writings. Um, and so they were so enthusiastic for this moment of passing and expecting it to be this glorious, wonderful moment. And she says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The greatest death in the history of man was our Lord, and that was anything but a beautiful experience. So uh, don't be uh, too alarmed if you find me sort of struggling in the last hours of my time on earth. Well, during this trial of faith, Therese asked the infirmarian to move the medicines far away from her. 
um, she was actually tempted to suicide. And so this is a, a strong word for all people who are tempted to suicide. Therese reveals to us, yes, what a grace it is to have faith. If I had not had any faith, I would have committed suicide without an instant's hesitation. Now, I, I want to bring in Catherine Berry's uh, commentary on that quote, um, because I think it gets to the heart of the matter. Catherine Berry said, Life is full of crosses and tribulations of all kinds. When one is experiencing suffering, how one reacts to it can make all the difference. If you were to fall into despair and had no light to bring you out of it, then it would be easy to see life as a burden and death as preferable. However, with the light of faith and hope, you can view suffering through the fullness of truth. It is how we participate in Christ, salvation, and join in his resurrection. St. Therese humbly admits that her faith gave her the strength to live, to keep going despite the difficulties and pain of life. The desire to end one's life is not the answer to suffering. Rather, it is faith that gives comfort and the ability to endure. And therefore, those with faith... It's even more important for us to pray for those who do not have faith. We must help complete what is missing um, in, in our brothers and sisters in this regard. You know, Therese had a great affinity towards, as you mentioned, Joan of Arc, and she uh, framed much of her language and her writing in the context of military and strategy and herself as a warrior. And so what was uh, Therese's own strategy for dying? How did she prepare herself? What preparations were made? She said uh, in her own writings, my patrons and my special favorites in heaven are those who, so to speak, stole it, <laughs> such as the holy innocents and the good thief. The great saints wanted by their works. I wish to be like the thieves and to win it by a stratagem, a stratagem of love, which will open its gates both to me and to poor sinners. In the book of Proverbs, the Holy Ghost encourages me, for he says, come to me, little one, to learn subtlety. I love that line. Yes, I do too. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I don't know that I necessarily at this stage say I want to steal heaven, uh, but we are, of course, told that it is being taken by storm, right? Right. Uh, and so um, she's saying, look, I, I wasn't going to be one of those great saints. It wasn't going to happen that way. Mm -hmm. So I had to steal it by a stratagem. My stratagem was love. And of course, yeah. that is the ultimate strategy. Yes. Well, you know, a lot of people didn't see the evidence of her interior sufferings. Of course, they weren't reading her uh, memoirs or letters. Um, some even doubted. They had nothing good to say of Therese. Um, but Therese revealed her interior struggle when she wrote um, in the works that were compiled as Story of a Soul. She said, you may think that I'm exaggerating the night of my soul. If one judged by the poems I've composed this year, it might seem that I have been inundated with consolation, that I'm a child for whom the veil of faith is almost rent asunder. But it is not a veil. It's a wall, a wall which reaches to the very heavens, shutting out the starry sky. And yet, I have never experienced more fully the sweetness and mercy of our Lord. He did not send this heavy cross when it would, I believe, have discouraged me, but chose a time when I was able to bear it. Now it does no more than deprive me of all natural satisfaction in my longing for heaven. It seems to me that nothing stands in the way of my going thither. I have no longer any great desires beyond that of loving till I die of love. What is to become of me? Must I die of sorrow because of my helplessness? Oh, no, I will not even grieve. With daring self-abandonment, there will I remain until death, my gaze fixed upon that divine sun. Nothing shall affright me, nor wind, nor rain. And should impenetrable clouds conceal the orb of love, and should I seem to believe that beyond this life there is darkness only, that would be the hour of perfect joy, the hour in which to push my confidence to its uttermost bounds. I should not dare to detach my gaze, well knowing that beyond the dark clouds 
the sweet sun still shines. This, I want to remember at my death. I hope I remember this at my death. <laughs> well, and for me, a very uh, you know important part of this was when she said, now it does no more than deprive me of all the natural satisfaction mm-hmm. in my longing for heaven. You see here, even in these last stages, the purification of the soul. Mm-hmm. It isn't, listen, we can all sit here and say, well, of course I desire heaven. You know, I got an empty bank account. I'm sick. Uh, I got this broken relationship. I really want heaven. I just want to go home. But it's a natural desire. God wants us to desire it with the purest desire. And in order for that to be true, we have to have these last stages of purification. Mother Agnes, in fact, said to her, uh, to Therese one morning, your sufferings are terrible. And Therese, in response, said, no, they are not terrible. How can a victim of love find anything terrible that is sent her by her spouse? At each moment, he sends me what I am able to bear, nothing more. And if he increases my pain, he increases my strength as well. But I can never ask for greater sufferings. I am too little a soul, for then they would be my choice, and I would have to bear them without his help. And I've never been able to do anything when left to myself. What insight that she provides us in this stage of, um, you know, sort of transition about the need to abandon, the need to be purified, the need to not have it to be anything uh, from herself. And again, we see Therese embracing this trial, trusting, surrendering, and abandoning herself to God, and the only, um, only doing that which leads her to love. She keeps her eyes on the goal, eternal life with God. Faith, faith is the centerpiece of this. Well, let's jump to the day she dies on September 30th of 1897. And she was breathing with great difficulty. And the, uh, she asked her prioress mother, is this the agony? What should I do to prepare for death? Never will I know how to die. And a little later on, she asked, when am I going to suffocate entirely? I can't stand anymore. Uh, pray for me. Jesus, Mary, I will. And, of course, she's she's praying to Jesus and Mary um, uh frequently and you know how consoling it is to think that when we pray the hail mary we ask our blessed mother to pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death that last hour of our life when the evil one is going to be fighting to take us away from our faith from our hope from our love from our joy so therese even asked herself should i fear the devil it seems i should not from i am doing everything out of obedience So there's no need to fear the evil one when you're totally consumed by love. Therese pointed at this uh, stage to the statue of the Blessed Virgin, and she said, Oh, I prayed fervently to her, but it is pure agony. There's no consolation, no consolation in the worldly sense, of course. God tests the little Therese even further in this faith, surrender, abandonment, but she remains steadfast. Yes, there's not consolation, but she remains steadfast in faith. A distressing rattle in the throat seemed to announce her end. Her sister, Celine, bending over her, asked for a last message. Speaking with great difficulty and very faintly, the little saint replied, It is love alone that counts. And there we have it. Everything we need to know. Right. And you know where she got that from? St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross. In the end, he says, we are only going to be measured in love. She says, neither do I desire any longer suffering or death, and I still love them both. It is love alone that attracts me. However, I desired them for a long time. I possessed suffering, and I believed I had touched the shores for a long time. I possessed suffering and believed I had touched the shores of heaven, that the little flower would be gathered in the springtime of her life. Now abandonment alone guides me. I have no other compass. I can no longer ask for anything with fervor except the accomplishment of God's will in my soul, without any creature being able to set obstacles in the way. This is a very profound, very deep spirituality that she has attained only in the last stages of her life. And I uh, caution our listeners, though we understand it intellectually, we read about it, we may desire it, we should desire it, we can only be brought to it experientially, not in feeling again, in faith, but we must come to this uh, deep abandonment uh, through the experiences that God will bring us through. St. Therese realized that seeking heaven is secondary to one thing, and that is seeking God's will. If we abandon ourselves to God, we can embrace any obstacle um, or turmoil or suffering, even death, with joy and acceptance. Um, well, I want to jump to this last hour. Um, shortly after 6 o'clock when the Angelus bell had rung, Therese was looking at the statue of the Virgin, the smile, and, um, 
and she was holding her crucifix. And the community uh, had been almost two hours in the infirmary, and then the prioress left them to leave. And Therese is like, Mother, isn't this the agony? Am I not going to die? And Mother Superior says, Yes, my poor child, but God perhaps wills to prolong it for several hours. So even at this point, Therese is saying, Well, all right, oh, I wouldn't want to suffer a shorter length of time. And then, lo and behold, her head fell back on the pillow and was turned to the right. And the prioress rang the infirmary bell, and the sisters quickly returned, and um, hardly had the community knelt at her bedside when Therese pronounced very distinctly, while gazing at her crucifix, Oh, I love him. And a moment later, My God, I love you. I love you. And then her eyes came to life and were fixed on a spot just a little bit above the statue of the Blessed Mother, and her face took on the appearance it had when Therese enjoyed good health. She seemed to be in ecstasy, and this lasted for the space of a credo. Then she closed her eyes and expired, and it was 7.20 in the evening. So uh, what a, a marvelous teaching on death that we can learn from Therese and the process of dying, where to place our hope, focusing um, on God. And, of course, Therese lives on. You know, we talk about this physical departure, but we know she lives on for us. It's so important for us as church and for us individually to realize God's not limited by the duration of our life on uh, this earth, the, the span of our life on this earth. Here in Therese, we find even today, and we will for, for many years hence, the teachings that are so important to us to help us uh, both prepare for our death and also to attain a, a, a union and a level of spirituality that brings us into the embrace of the living God. Well, we're going to close with a prayer uh, and give you just a, a little insight on uh, future programming for the month of November. Francis, would you close us out, please? Sure, Mark. This is the excerpt from the poem of St. Therese called What I'll Soon See for the First Time, with an exclamation mark. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Ah, Jesus, give me white wings that I may take flight to you. I want to fly to the eternal shores. I want to see you, O my divine treasure. I want to fly into the arms of Mary to rest on that choice throne and receive from my dear mother a sweet kiss for the first time. My beloved, let me soon catch a glimpse of the sweetness of your first smile and let me in my divine delirium uh, let me hide in your heart. Oh, what a moment, what ineffable happiness, when I'll hear the sweet sound of your voice, when I'll see the divine brilliance of your adorable face for the first time. You know well, sacred heart of Jesus, my only martyrdom is your love. If my soul sighs for your beautiful heaven, it's to love you, to love you more and more. In heaven, always intoxicated with tenderness, I'll love you without limit and without law, and my happiness will unceasingly seem as new as the first time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, just a quick programming note. Next week, we'll be doing a program on Elizabeth of the Trinity, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity now again, and we'll be giving one of her more profound teachings on the adoption uh, that Paul teaches us about with regard to becoming another Christ. So uh, that to look forward to on um, just a day after. Uh, I think, no, it's the day, day before, before actually, her feast, her feast day. day. Yeah. Right, I've mm -hmm. got to get my calendar. Awesome. <laughs> well, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a spiritual uh, Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless, and have a blessed November. 